Hello and welcome to the Doctor Who Show and our episode for January of 2021. I'm Dave. I'm Rob. I'm Mark. And I'm Richard. And as you can tell from those voices, our regular Rob is on leave. We're giving him his annual Christmas holiday. And we are joined by friends of the podcast, Mark, Rob and Richard, known for 42 to Doomsday, the Goodies Park Podcast, Spaceful Blake 7 Podcast, all wonderful podcasts I encourage you to check out. But our topic for today is conventions. And given we are all recording in person, we're actually going to be talking about conventions, not in a particularly analytical or deep dive way, but looking at our own personal experiences, and in particular the evolution of conventions from the incredibly amateur to the incredibly professional, and which we like best. Guys, thank you for joining us. How are you all? Good. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us, Dave. Yes, indeed. Now, normally we would open an episode of the Doctor Who show with news, uh, but unfortunately we're recording an episode going out at the end of January in the middle of December. But by the time you hear this, hopefully everyone will have watched Revolution of the Daleks, so we're going to have a crack at giving you our reactions to that. I'm going to start off by saying that whilst it seems incredibly obvious now that Captain Jack is actually a pre-Hartnell Doctor, I, I didn't see that coming. I was very entertained, I must say, by the Megalos cameo while the Doctor was in Charter. And look, I must admit I was a bit cynical about the writing out of... Um, uh, Toast and Cole and Bradley Walsh, but well, I thought Bradley Walsh got to go out of hero. I, I thought, thought Bradley, Bradley Walsh. Yep. Toast and Cole, on the other hand, look, I think this is Doctor Who's Salak pit moment. But <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it is a great show. I, I actually have been a big fan of Toast and Cole. I said he was my player of the week several times, particularly in his first series. And I thought that his departure just wasn't worthy of what he could do. But but the way they got rid of Bradley Walsh, I thought that that actually was was quite powerful. Rob, what were your reactions to uh, Revolution of the Daleks? Well, I think Chibnall missed the trick in not, you know, going further with the, his, uh, his ethos with the timeless children, and uh, he, he sort of, he, he, uh, he bottled it in, in, uh, in Revolution of the Daleks. There was no reference to it whatsoever. It just seemed like the Chibnall thought, you know, um, I, I can't handle the, the, the overreaction from fandom, and uh, <laughs> he's just gone with something completely different. It's, it, but it's a holiday special, so... True, but it's like, you know, how the production team dropped the ball with regards to Adric's death, and then what they did in, in Time Flight. They did nothing with it. So you've, you've introduced three million new Doctors and... You ease back. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, surely, surely the Doctor's been in jail for a long, long time. There's an opportunity to bring in a new Doctor. Ooh. But he didn't do that. He didn't Ooh. do that. So chill your bottle at some. Yeah, I have got to say, I, I agree with what you're saying there, Rob, I suspect. And I will also say that if there were people who were not happy about the political satire and allegory in the earlier Chibnall era, I think they are going to be up in arms about Revolution of the Daleks. Yeah, I was going to say I really, the, the retconning of Talons of Wang Chiang really um, rankled with me. And, you, you and think it was a retconning? I think it was a wholesale embrace of the political and racial politics of Tal- Talons that really sets this episode apart. Ooh, okay. I, mean, I, can go, I can go Chibnall for not, you know, going all the whole hog with the timeless children and making himself a doctor. <laughs> but it's, it's his willingness to go, you know what, yellow face is the is 2021's new zeitgeist and he's I don't know either be or not be be it you know mm-hmm. what about you Marcus you've like, been really quiet Mark I mean you've been sla- I've seen you Matt on, online you've been crying in, in anticipation of this uh, story so. I, think, I think the word is anticipation just uh, <laughs> I'd like to uh, you know reflect on what Chris Chibnall said in 1986 where he said you know it's um, it's just not very good <laughs> and we'll just leave it there <laughs> Fair it's, a sli- it's slightly better than the Star Wars Christmas special. That's all I'm going to say. Fair Ooh. enough. So, slightly. 
they are our attempted thoughts on a show we haven't yet seen and by the time you listen to this you'll know if we were right and I can guarantee I'm probably not likely to see <laughs> I think they're more coherent than our actual thoughts will be <laughs> you'll be there Mark come on well I've got to make sure he's you know thumping his desk in anticipation for that so anyway so we'll move that into the main topic of conversation for the episode which is conventions and given that we are as I say all sitting here at Camp David around the microphones in person we want to make this a bit more of a personal conversation rather than a deeply analytical one but let me start off by just asking each of you the question what to you do you want out of a Doctor Who convention are they something that you have love for you have hate for something in the middle what what works for you in a Doctor Who convention Mark I'll start with you but I think it's going to be a mixture of the old and the new where you can uh, listen to guests and listen to listen to the anecdotes but also have time with them uh, whether it's with autographs or you know, private functions mm. with them whatever I think you know and just getting that balance right between actually going to a convention and, and, and you know interacting with people as opposed to and I think is what's happened now it's becoming more of a, a signature event um, so yep. I'd like to get that balance between you know a bit of the old and a bit of the new um, which I think is yeah it's just got a completely different way that I'm sort of uh, I'd like to do. Yeah, I think that evolution over the last thirty years of our convention experience, and yeah. yes, it has been thirty years, yeah. is something we're going to talk about. Richard, look, you and I have been to a lot of conventions together. We've run a convention together. Yeah. Uh, what's your headline thoughts on the whole topic? Yeah, I, I probably did actually go a little bit analytical, and, and um, I'll dial it back a bit, but I actually think maybe people's expectations have changed a bit over time because mm. I think in the old days. This, this probably was your avenue to see the guests and hear the guests talk and probably get their thoughts on you know their work and whatever. Whereas I, I think now, as Mark said, they're really pitched towards sort of signing events and, and people just seem to be quite cool with that idea. You know, you might come and listen to somebody talk for an hour, get an autograph, get a photo and go home. Whereas in the old days, you probably would have you know one or two guests maybe for the weekend out here in Australia if you were lucky mm. and you would spend... A weekend with them, and you, you'd not get to know them so much, but there, there would be probably an evolution in the narrative over the weekend as the guests relaxed and got more comfortable with the crowd and that sort of stuff. And you would have those sorts of things. I think, look, some of that you can probably blame the internet because look, a lot of the anecdotes and that now are out there, or, or the um, DVD range, for example. Yeah, that's the thing. More well, the expectation now, really, on any Doctor Who DVD is that you're going to get, you know, you're going to get a behind the scenes, you're going to get a commentary track, you're going to get one or two of those little doco type things. So you know, you can hear what Colin Baker had to say about Time Lash on a DVD before actually. You know, you even need to go and see him in person to talk about it. Yeah. I think also there's probably... I do remember going on an event with Mark Strickson um, a few years ago where he said these days actually he is a lot more careful about what he says when he's on stage because, of course... Now you've got people with mobiles and they're all recorded and stuff and of course you make some random comment about a person you worked with and you know a few hours later it's on the net and isn't Mark Strickson a bastard because he said X about you know this, this particular actor. So well, well just on that I think most of us have heard the anecdote where Carrie Fisher made a bit of a disparaging comment about director Kevin Smith at one stage mm. and he heard about that over the internet and called her up on it and she said I was telling convention story Kevin don't take it too seriously mm. but yeah that's something that does happen. I guess the other thing is you've also got people like um, you know the archive features in Dead OUM people like Andrew Pixley's work and Richard Molesworth's work and stuff so a lot of those anecdotes you know that, that years ago you had to go to a convention to hear everybody's heard them the eye patch joke well that's the thing and, and you really do get 
let's be honest, I mean, Classic Who is now, it's 30 years since Classic Who was in production, and you've heard most of the stories. Unless you get somebody new, you've heard most of the stories. And I mean, you even had people, like it was Wendy Pabry, I think, was one. She dropped off the concert for a bit because she just said, look, she was telling the same stories to the same people every year. Hmm. And Peter Purvis, I think it was him, had, had a thing where he said he did one about every five or six years because basically that way he was still reasonably fresh and, you know, it was he might be entertaining to listen to. You know, I went to another example. I actually logged on. There was a, a, a virtual Lake 7 convention this year that I logged into and listened to some of the streams for. And look, it was it was really good and it was really well organised and it, look, it raised a lot of money for charity. So it did a lot of the right things. And look, listening to some of the actors was great, but there is a limit to how many times you can hear Sally Nevette say she was really disappointed with the character development of Jenna. I don't need really to hear that again. Or, or the alternate version of it, which is, as has been experienced at a convention in Australia going a while back, where somebody flies out to Australia, is the principal guest for a weekend, and opens their first panel by saying, I don't actually remember a lot yes, from my time in the show, which was, which is also a problem. Yeah, and I do remember the sort of collective sigh that went around the room. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, look, uh, Mark Strickson was also at that event, and and look, he was great. He really carried a lot of that weekend. But I don't know. Look, maybe people's attention spans are shorter because you think of some of the like um, fandom ones we went to. I remember when and we'll talk maybe about time still a bit later, but you know, Sophie did like two Q and A's every day. Yeah, she um, was doing three or four hours in front of the crowd yeah, both days. Yeah, um, and that's the thing. And I, I remember, you know, around the same time the year before, we went up to, to Sydney to see Elizabeth Sladen. And the number of sort of Q&A type panels she did across that weekend... Well, well, we'll talk about that, but that, that convention was three and a half days. It was. Which is, is quite phenomenal when you think about it now. So that's a real marathon, isn't it? It was. And, mean, and it felt like it at the time, let yeah. me tell you. <laughs> yeah, it did. Yeah. It did. I mean, probably also just on a more personal note for me, particularly probably later on, I used to use it really as an example to sort of catch up with people I knew in fandom in different parts of the country. So I do remember, and it was quite unusual actually, considering it was a Lusleyan convention, I actually didn't see all the Q&As because I was too busy socialising with people um, and, and, and selling merchandise as well. But... <laughs> <laughs> so there, there is always that aspect to it uh, for me personally. And Rob, what about you? Well, my experience with conventions, unlike you guys, is, is, is pretty limited. I've only really been to one. Uh, I think it was Hoovention 2001 where we all went up by plane. So that would have been the Colin Baker and Annika Wills one, is that right? Yeah, yeah, 2001. Look, my... Plus Katie Manning. Plus Katie Manning. Katie Manning on the second day, yeah. I wasn't impressed. Uh, anyway, I don't know if Colin was. Colin was in full flight and Katie Manning turns up and sucks all the oxygen out of the room. I went to that simply to basically be with all my friends who were also interested in Doctor Who. Um, yeah. It was great to actually, you know, I met Colin Baker and he signed a photo and he looked at my head funny because I had stitches sticking out because I banged my head into a metal uh, bin. But uh, I, I went for the social aspect. The, the, the Doctor Who meet the guests, all that sort of thing was really incidental because you read the interviews in DWM or and you know, you know you're going to hear all the stories. Mm. And so really it was it was more the social side of it that I went for uh, with, you know, we were drinking on the Friday and the Saturday night and uh, it was a good trip up to Sydney. Certainly I can see the value in conventions and, you know, reading about them and hearing you guys, they've clearly progressed from, you know, uh, what was going on in the 70s and, and certainly in the 80s, but definitely a much more professional money-making venture mm. for the organisers now. Like a lot of things, that professionalism or professionalisation, I suppose, of conventions 
tends to make them more corporate and sucks the life out of them maybe that's my impression I went to them just for the more social aspect of it I mean even with just I used to work in a bookstore in the mid-90s and we had authors come in we had Terry Pratchett and we had David Gemmell and we had uh, Margaret Weiss to name a few it was never my thing to sort of you know roll up and and listen to them speak or just even get anything signed I I, I don't know I, I think for me even though I'm a fairly solitary and insular fellow, it's it's just the social aspect of being with people who mm. have a like-minded attitude and you can tolerate a lot of drink. And so, yeah. So, having had that general sort of overview of the topic, I want to take us all back now to, uh, and I can tell you the exact date, the 19th of January, 1991. And I know that because I have in my hands the actual program for Enlightenment, the Doctor Adventure that two of us were at in Melbourne. Well, one of us ran. <laughs> and yes, one, of us, one of us had a part in running, Mark, which included, according to the cover here, the Victorian Premier of the Ice Warriors. Uh, proudly donated by myself. Now... <laughs> You're a good man, Mark. Pirated. Now, this convention, Enlightenment 1991, was a very Australian convention in that all the guests were people who were now expats residing in Australia. Mm. So we had Robert Jewell, the Dalek actor, uh, Sandra Reid, the costume designer, and Dudley Simpson, the, the, the composer. Yeah. We'll start with you, Mark. That was the first convention you were involved in running? Yeah, uh, yeah absolutely. What, what, what are your memories of that process and what it was like, given that we're talking incredibly volunteer-run with basically locally sourced guests yeah look I think with that one was basically you know we were having obviously monthly meetings uh, you know club meetings and, and either in people's houses and or you know other 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 uh, locations this was like the first sort of amped up local convention because you know Sydney had obviously done their Whovention and then Nicholas Courtney in 88 with Whovention I think John Pertwee is at Conquest in 1990 which a lot of us couldn't go there as well so basically this is our first foray into doing a local convention and we had the committee and we're all pretty um, you know all given tasks to do I was, I was looking after the membership in terms of getting the money and everything like that and obviously you know we had to uh, it was easy for Robert Jewell because he lived down in, in Mount Eliza so locally you know getting him in here um, I think Alexander was living locally as well so that was easy to get her for the day as well but obviously we had to get Dudley Simpson down uh, from Sydney you know with, with plane and accommodate we actually had a uh, run at a motel I think it was in St Kilda but yeah it was actually a lot, a lot of work I do remember a bit being a, a lot of work to organise and in terms of on the day mm-hmm. I hardly got time to spend any time with any of the guests and I know they all went out for dinner on the Saturday night and I was just so tired I couldn't go. I was just knackered. But uh, and we were running the video room, so basically we had a mixture of panels, either QAs with the guests, or panels that I was on, or other fans are on doing. You know, trying to get the, the, the you know keeping the momentum going and and coming up some fa- you know, fairly different topics. But we also had video rooms, had two video rooms a month, and we weren't showing Doctor Who. You know, all day we had one. I think one Doctor Who room, and I think another room showing sci-fi. So it was Blake Seven, and I think we also got some. Um, next there generation. Yep, there was some next generation. Next generation, generation, yep. generation episode. But um, yeah, we got those, and there were sort of premieres of those because you know, of course, Australia was years behind in terms of television transmissions. But I just remember it being a lot, a lot of work, and um, we had merchandising and everything like that. But so, yeah, I, I, it was a lot. We had a barbecue there as well. We were selling, you know, sausage sizzles and things like that. But uh, in terms of my interactions with the guests very limited apart from a hello that was it and can you sign this Dudley that was it because we were basically running off our feet making sure that the convention was running you know uh, mm-hmm. successfully which I think it was I mean in terms of the homegrown effort you know it was obviously you know you pay a, pay a fee and I think it was like 20 bucks I think to get in I can't remember autographs there's no char- 
charging extra for autographs, if I remember. It was very, it was a very home homespun event, and I think people had a good time. No, look, I certainly had a good time. I was yeah. there as a as a guest. One of the things that really struck me at the time was, as you say, taking this to a whole new level. Even though the club at that stage had done a, a few meetings in professionally hired events, yeah. you, know, you know, like a cheap church hall or yeah. something like that, this was a, a proper convention centre. It was all done, and there, there, were, there were lots and lots of fans all sort of there. The video room seems like a, a nothing thing now, but at the time, this was the only way to watch some of the stuff mm. that was being screened there, and it was a big deal to try and make sure that you saw what you wanted in the video room. Yeah. But that number of fans that just there mixing enjoying themselves hanging out in the merchandise room and you know looking to see what target novel somebody was selling second hand that you could buy was a, again a big deal this was pre-internet pre-ebay uh, but the guests were not only on for a large amount of time they all three guests did two panels one on the Saturday one on the Sunday and I think you broke it up one was very much their Doctor Who work one was their non-Doctor Who work mm-hmm. which worked very well but you were getting three or four hours across the weekend with each guest doing Q&A as well as all the other panels that you were doing Uh, but by the same token you would go and buy lemonade at the bar and Sandra Tynan was standing there buying herself a glass of wine and and you'd just say oh hi how are you and you'd have a chat and the guests were just sort of wandering around and and mingling with with the attendees there was no security guards there's no like green room you know Flicking no, back, no, and, and we'll be talking about that later. I tell yeah, you, yeah, oh, don't, don't, absolutely. But I do remember, you know, for Dudley Simpson, we gave him. He had, he had an unciphered copy of Brain and Morbius or something like that. And we gave him a keyboard. And he was just showing us how he'd, he'd, uh, yeah. he'd do music, and then you got the piano out, started playing the, the Blake Seven theme, and everything. Everybody went nuts, and yeah, yeah. But so, no, yeah. do you recall or do you know what their reaction was to being approached and asked to come be guests at a convention? Were they surprised at the interest? I don't think Dudley was because obviously. See, you know, who's a fairly big deal in, in Sydney, you know, in terms of the Doctor Who fandom there. So in terms of having him in Melbourne, it was a big deal for us. Yeah. Robert Jewell had been around, I think, to a couple of maybe earlier meetings, maybe. But Alexander Tynan had been to, a, I suppose, smaller events, like Christmas parties and that. But in terms of having all those three people there, mm. it was, I think, they were slightly, you know, bemused, but also obviously happy and in, to interact with the fans. Were they taken aback by the interest? I think so. Robert Jewell in particular, I think he was. But um, and, and I can certainly remember, just to, to wrap up the segment on Enlightenment, an anecdote a friend of the podcast, Damien, likes to tell, because he managed a lot of the autograph cues at the time, where we talk about amateur in terms of production and, and guests and all the rest of it. Even some of the fans weren't quite used to how this was and how this all would work. And he talks about, for example, Dudley Simpson doing an autograph, the queue would move up, and somebody would come up and say, oh, hi, could you sign my copy of my Target novel, please? And Dudley would look and go, oh, Frontios. This, this is about... 10 years after I left the show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's fine, mate. Can you sign it? Of course. And, and Dudley sort of, you know, being half amused and half amused and just sort of taking it in good stead. But that idea of people having dedicated autograph books or yep. collections or anything, yeah. and, and photos weren't a thing at all. No. no no one was getting photos. No, I gave Dudley my uh, vinyl copy of Doctor Who the Music to sign, and, he's, and I realised after it had none of his tracks on it. <laughs> <laughs> so, sorry, Dudley. <laughs> well, there you go. So, look, we'll keep moving on. And when you talk about amateur in the, in the proper sense of the term, and non-professional, not in a pejorative term, but, but a reality, we then get into the fact that sometimes these things don't work. Which brings us to Survival, which was a convention here in 1994. Yes. Now, Richard, you and I were both there. Yes. You were briefly involved in the organising before you very uh, astutely walked away. Uh, Uh, Look, look, I know that there are libel laws 
so oh, we need to be careful. But but look, Richard, I'll, I'll hand over you. Tell us the story of survival from your point of view. Well, as I said, I will probably tell the, the real story perhaps one day. Um, you know, well, the full one story. Of those, one of those sort of posthumous things that they release. <laughs> if you're seeing this, I'm dead. Here's the full version of the survival story. Look, it's not really that salacious. That look, sometimes conventions don't come off. For one reason or another, and, and by not coming off, look, they, they don't actually happen. I remember, and I won't name it, there was a convention here in the early 90s here in Melbourne that, that made a fairly substantial loss, and in early 90s money it was about three or 4000 which was a big deal. Um, and, you know, the organisers had to basically go and get a bank loan. It was the, the venue and the catering, I think, where they got burned. That was a Star Trek one, wasn't it? Uh, no, it was more a general SFCon. Okay. I, I do remember I wasn't actually at it. I do remember going to the, hey, we've paid the dead off party uh, <laughs> with that one. And I do also remember, and again, I'll, I'll be probably a fraction careful about what I say, but there was an event up in Sydney in the late 90s with a big name Star Trek guest. And they sort of, they, they were really a professional group and they did the, the multiple levels of membership. So, you know, you had sort of the bronze, silver, gold, platinum. And I think they'd sort of taken a punt on the fact that this particular guest would, would elicit a lot of interest. And what they found was the gold and platinum membership sold out quite quickly. Um, so you sort of got bronze was you got to see the panels. Silver was, you, you know, you got to see the panels from a slightly better seat and you got an autograph. You know, gold, you then got a better seat again and you probably got a photo. You know, and then platinum was you actually got to, like, touch them or something. Touching <laughs> <laughs> God! So what, what actually happened in this instance was that the gold and platinum memberships um, sold quite quickly because they, you know, went to the 50, 60 people whose lifelong ambition clearly was to, to, to meet the, the actor involved. But the lower level memberships really didn't sell at all. And they hired quite a big convention centre and whatever, so that, that was sort of embarrassing is maybe the wrong word, but it was very obviously they'd had a very poor turnout. They hadn't reached their break even. Not nowhere near. Yeah. Um, and, and they did walk away with a slight substantial loss. I mean, which, which, which we should emphasise, they yeah. paid themselves. Yes, they did. Because they, were, because, they were professional, yeah. because they were a professional group, they bore the full responsibility for it. And. I, I do, I mean, I was involved with a group called Multiverse, and the last Multiverse convention, that made a loss as well. That was probably slightly different. That was more, there was, we got sort of the numbers we were aiming for, but there'd actually been a shift. Instead of taking four weekend tickets, um, by that point, most people only took day tickets, which, of course, dropped the revenue right down. So, yes, we did actually hit our target numbers, but we didn't hit it in the sense that, that they hadn't taken out the full membership we were anticipating. So outside Britain and North America, yeah. running a convention in a smaller country, say, like a Australia or New yeah. Zealand was more a speculative venture. Oh, for sure. I'll circle back to survival, and I know that was the original question. I do remember when, and I know you've got a separate section here on Timestorm, but I might do this bit now. We, when we ran the Timestorm event here in the late 90s, which was um, Sophie Aldrin, we sort of had the, about four months out, we probably had the are we actually going to keep going with this? I, 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 can remember having, I can remember having lunch at the Burke Street Maccas yeah. and actually having that conversation. Yeah. Um, has the initial interest been there that, that we can really, you know, is this actually viable? And in terms of uh, the, the initial interest, how were you getting the word out to potential attendees? So what we did was we advertised, I mean, this is 97, so the internet's really in its infancy. So it was a lot of stuff, a lot of mail out. So it went in, you know, all the club magazines. We posted around all the fan clubs we could find. So Star Walking, yeah, Star Trek oh, Doctor Who, yeah, Doctor Who, yeah. pretty much anyone who'd, who'd taken an ad from us, yep. really. The um, flies in the special yeah, interest stop shops. Th- that sort of stuff. Um, you know, when other conventions happened, we'd have a table, we had a table at a couple of them. 
we, we did put it on the internet for people at unis and that who had access to it. After we'd had that initial is this viable type discussion, we then probably about eight weeks before the actual event itself was like, well, this is sort of the point of no return, whereas if we cross this, we are now actually committed to running it because we have to pay for Sophie and we have to pay make the initial payments to the venue, etc. And this is probably the point is if we do walk away from it, we're not going to be able to pay everybody back. That was the other probably thing as well. Uh, up to that point, you know, if we decided, well, this isn't working. So um, was it a cold calculation for you guys when you were sitting um, there about We was did it- debate. No, look, we, we were pretty comfortable. Certainly the first discussion, I think we were pretty comfortable that, that look, it was viable. We had a fair bit of initial interest in it. But but there, there was, as we got to that four-week mark, there was a number we had in our heads yeah. that if we didn't hit that number, we, we were calling we did, it off. Yeah, probably, I think it was about, as I said, it was about six to eight weeks out, I think, from memory. And would you have worn a bit of a loss if you pulled out at that um, stage? At that stage... The club would have won a loss, but everybody who paid up to that point would have got their money back, which was probably, and that probably feeds into the survival mm-hmm. thing. Which, as I said, I am getting back to survival list, as I promised. But so we did have that quite lengthy discussion around, okay, well, look, this is what we're going to have to do, and we're really going to have to push, you know, over the next six to eight weeks to actually make this thing work. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I could just add there as well, in answer to your question, Rob. A couple of things about the Australian or the New Zealand conventions different in terms of being a speculative event. One is that there is no ongoing tradition of them in Australia. If you're a fan in the UK, then there are a lot of people who will every year, they will go to Panopticon or they'll go to Monopticon and it's something you can do. But the other side of that is that if you're running a Panopticon in the 90s in the UK and you get John Pertwee, well, you're paying John Pertwee's fee for whatever time he's on stage and at most a bus ticket or a train ticket. Whereas when we're looking to book Sophie Aldred, uh, you're paying Sophie Aldred fee and you're paying usually the the uh, request would be a business class flight to Australia plus accommodation not just for the weekend but for a few days either side uh, certainly I know that both us and the Sydney Club when we did guests and Richard we'll, we'll, we can perhaps expand on this in a moment would perhaps offer a bit of a, a deal like if you reduce or, or mitigate your appearance fee We'll give you a business business class flight and a holiday, and you know it'll be you'll get ten days in Melbourne and local local fans to basically drive you around all the tourist attractions, look after you, put up your hotel. So there is a considerable cost. Now, in the case of Sophie, we won't get into the details of Sophie. We'll get to that in the time some stuff. So yeah, circle back to survival. So just just finishing that part of it. So yeah, there was a very definite. This this is really the point of no return in, in terms of the finance. And look, we did have one or two on the committee one, one probably particularly thinking back now who was really you know he was really anxious that this was going to make a loss and he was going to wind up liable for it and then that that was you know that that was all going to be bad how did you convince him that well we actually offered him the opportunity look if you want to step off the committee now look if you want us to sign something saying you exited the committee at x day or something you know look we can but he eventually sort of went away and thought about it and thought well no look all right i can see, I think it's heading in the right direction. So yeah, I want to stay part of it. And I, I just want to be clear here: it was in terms of the financial risk, it was yeah. borne by the club and not you guys. The, in the, the club certainly had money in the bank, mm. so yeah, we we did have a buffer if something went wrong or we didn't quite get the membership numbers we wanted. It was probably the point at we've taken people's membership money and if we pull out at this point or once we cross the, the Rubicon here. Yeah. Um, we're really going to struggle to actually pay people back because we've given money to Sophie, we've given money to the venue, 
venue, you know. Which the airlines. Are, yeah, which are non-refundable, really. You know, the venue was like, well, you have to pay, I think it was 25% deposit, but you don't get that back if you cancel. And, and, and the airline tickets yeah. in, in, in 1997, you, yeah. didn't, you didn't see that money again if you cancel the ticket. No, yeah. And uh, the reason I'm asking this question is now, more professionally, obviously, you set up a company and the liability yeah. lies with Well, that's the thing. That. So you, you guys, if you'd gone ahead with it and then for whatever reason it had fallen over, you would have been at some point... Quite, quite potentially, yeah. I mean, look, you... you Just to demonstrate the, the risk to the listeners of, you know, doing this in Australia. For, for sure. Look, I mean, there was obviously the thing in the... Particularly probably from the late 80s onwards, and there was a group called Starwalking who were a fan group, but they did run a lot of their stuff really professionally. And they were probably the first club I think I was aware of who'd actually incorporated and did everything so we started walking ink I and mean, other clubs did follow suit and I mean look the Doctor Who club in theory was, was incorporated but you know I, I suspect had it come down with there was going to be a burden on us yeah I think if things had happened so look probably the thing I would say about survival I think it was a convention that advertised Sophie Aldrin and ultimately obviously didn't deliver I think probably the thing that rankled with survival was that the cancellation was literally like three or four days before the event. The event started Friday night, and I think it went around Monday afternoon that, that she wasn't coming. Not everybody found out about that. Look, a lot of interstate people did, but, of course, by that point, they booked flights, they booked accommodation and whatever. And there were a few of them, look, I think, who didn't... I don't think came to the convention, just, well, I've paid for it. I want to come and have a weekend in Melbourne. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so at least I get some value out of this. But, but there were plenty of others who I can remember because yeah. I was an attendee of that convention. They arrived on the Sunday morning yes. expecting to see... Friday night and Saturday morning. Yep, yep, expecting to see a weekend with Sophie Aldred and got there to be told Sophie hasn't actually turned up. Yeah. And they were given the choice there and then you can have a refund now or you can come to the convention and we'll sort of sort out any issues later. Yeah. And most people were like, well, I'm here now. I'll, 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 stay. Ha- I'll stay. But, um, yeah, a lot, a lot of people got burned, um, shall we say, and, and, and probably didn't come away. Look, as a fan-run event, and look, I, I do remember running around like just making up panels and stuff on the fly. I knew the organiser, and at the time the organiser was actually quite a good friend of mine, but um, hello if you're listening. He, he and I had a bit of a falling out earlier in the year, and really I any actual official involvement I had in the convention ceased at that point. Would it be um, fair to say this was the impression I had that the organiser was sort of seeing where conventions were going and, and saw this as a bit of a money spinner and maybe, yes. maybe a bit of an on-the-side company that he could have? Yeah, I think so. He was trying to organise a Star Trek convention at the same time for early the following year. So, give him his due. Look, he did front up on the Friday night and on the Saturday morning and across the weekend to, to sort of face the unhappy fans. And how did he message it? It was done, and we're probably getting into the slightly contentious stuff now. But Be careful. Yeah. Well, well shall, we, shall we say right at the start, it wasn't Sophie's fault? No, it was not It was not Sophie. Yeah. So whatever, whatever may or may not have happened, yeah. and, and maybe that's all I'll say about... The, the, had, the mechanics had, of it. Had what was meant to happen happened, Sophie yes. was ready to get on the plane. So Sophie would have been there. Yeah. Um, so look, it was nothing she did. So we might just leave that there, perhaps. So can we say though, and Richard, you can correct me, it was some, it was somebody who was not a professional running a con with the intention of bringing out an international guest. Yes. Who just found that the balls that had to be juggled were, were, were too much or did not work, and at some point. He passed the point where he couldn't stop it? Yes, I, I suspect. 
suspect that's probably what happened. I, I do have probably a couple of additional theories on top of that, but as I said, we might not go into that in this forum. No, but, but I think we can make the point that yes, the, these are not easy things to organise, no, especially they're not. They do require guests. keeping a lot of plates in the air at the same time. Anyway, look, I personally, and, and on behalf of the, the Victorian Club, look, we had a, a merchandise table there, and I'd actually imported a crap load of merchandise, which actually turned out quite well, because you had a lot of pissed off people with money in their wallets. So <laughs> we actually had sold pretty much most of the merchandise by in the Friday night. An angry fan and his money are soon parted? Pretty much, because the other thing was we had a little video screen and everything going on the table, and we had a lot of the time like people standing around watching because we were putting things on there like little clips and um, we weren't actually showing episodes we were just showing little fan clips and um, the thing called the Molinier tapes for anyone who knows what they are which was a sort of a series of comedy fan edits and stuff like that done um, back I think in the, the sort of early 90s so we had a lot of people around the table at different times and people just you know wanted to stop past for a chat and whatever so we did do extremely well out of the merchandise yeah I, I do remember a couple of times when there, there probably wasn't much going on where you know we we did sort of organise a couple of impromptu panels, myself and, and other fans who were there and, you know, just got up and just did, did, did something impromptu to, to keep things moving. I remember an awesome panel, um, Dallas Jones and a chap by Craig Wellington did on the Sunday afternoon where they, they sort of faked a phone call, which which I, I thought was actually, considering they made that up pretty much on the fly, that, that was really well done. We had the Australian launch of Shakedown at the time. Yes, we did, actually. We did. And look, they did succeed in getting a guest. There was actually someone there who knew uh, Sandra Reid or Alexandra Tynan um, reasonably well so she did come sort of for the Saturday afternoon and, and you know um, came and sort of spoke to everybody in science and stuff and whatever so I think the point that's really worth making about survival apart from the fact that it was a con that didn't succeed in terms of getting its guest is that everybody who turned up had a really fun time there were people there from Sydney and from other parts of Australia who got together and it was a fun and collegiate fan experience the problem was they were paying a hundred bucks for the yes. privilege and, and that's the thing and, and look to be honest once Sophie didn't arrive, look, the, the programming was probably a little threadbare, um, which is why you had fans sort of jumping up and, you know, just running discussion panels and things just, just to keep things moving. But I do remember I met a lot of people um, from Sydney fandom and, and other parts of Australian fandom at, at Survival. And we, you know, um, I do remember a couple of nights went sort of, you know, um, went down to the pub basically and sat there and drank and talked and, you know, made Mary um, and whatever and you know look, some of my fan friendships came out of that event and there were people like you know just I probably wouldn't have met had the thing actually gone as planned so so it sounds like to me that even though the convention wasn't didn't turn out how people had uh, what they paid for what they made of it was just as entertaining for the um, majority I would suppose look I think if you're prepared to probably put yourself out there a bit and sort of socialise and get involved in some of the stuff that was going on um, I think there were certainly look there were people there who were really unhappy probably didn't have a great time or like well, I don't know I've just done a hundred bucks or whatever and, and I'm really unhappy about that but look there were also those of us who, who you know had a really good time had a really good social experience so so let's keep the discussion going yes. because Sophie Aldred didn't turn up to survive in 94 no. uh, I think that uh, Richard you particularly and a few of us uh, in the club decided it would be our mission that we would get Sophie to Australia that's correct and in 1997 we did yes so this is the convention that we were involved in and look Richard, I saw you nodding before when Mark was talking about the work going into a convention. Yep. <laughs> Would you like to take up that theme? Yeah, for sure. 
And look, I would be honest and say, when we decided as a group in the club, we'd sort of been kicking around the idea of a convention for, for probably a year or two in the club before what became Time Store. Yeah, it, it was the natural extension of running a club yeah. that at some point, and, and Mark, I think you know, you're nodding here, the, the convention's the natural next evolution. You've yeah, got right. the fans in, you've done the regular meetings, oh, let's do it. We've done a couple else, of yeah. day events because yeah. Lola Ward had been in the country right. and we had her for an afternoon. That's right. Yeah. Well, she, she was there as Richard Dawkins' wife. Yes, yeah, basically. Right. He had a speaking engagement or something that afternoon and she yeah. was free. So we managed to grab her yeah, for the, right. at the club for the afternoon. Yep. Yeah. Um, and we had Mark Strickson a couple of times and whatever. So and, and, and probably worth adding in here that Mark Strickson was very, very canny in when he would go to a new city, he was very, very good at his age and sort of finding out where the Doctor Who families were yes, and just yes. saying, if you wouldn't mind throwing a couple hundred bucks at Mark to speak, you'd be very welcome. Yes, very yes, happy to do that. Than happy to come to your event. And, and I do remember when you moved back to the UK, it was sort of, you know, he did kind of like a farewell tour. Yes. Um, sort of around the, the last tour. Yeah, around the local clubs. So, yeah, yeah we, we had been kicking around sort of the Time Storm idea for a while. And, and I would be honest and say on a personal level, one of the reasons I did sort of approach Sophie was to, you know, because we hadn't succeeded used before and approve it could be done I suppose in a, in a way. It was a fair bit of work. I'd say probably the bulk of the convention probably got organised in the last about eight weeks sort of once we, we sort of had stuff moving in the right direction but I think once we committed that yeah this thing is happening and we're now going to outweigh several thousand dollars to, to get her out here and pay her fee and, and do whatever, that, that was really probably when the real work started. I should thank my employer uh, at the time um, who unknowingly uh, provided uh, what I think would probably be several hundred dollars if not more in terms of photocopying and office supplies <laughs> and as a shareholder um, of that company you're welcome <laughs> uh, I agree yes. <laughs> yes I think three of us actually work for them at one time or another so yeah. you can cut that or not as you no, no, keep that in. well, well let, let's, let's keep going on that because it is interesting to look at the background that goes in there in terms of putting together a video program back in the days of videotape. Yeah, and I mean, we did have allocated job. There was one chap we just sort of said, well, look, these are the hours we're running. We need a video room for this. You can... How would you like to go and put the video program together? Because he, he was interested in that sort of stuff. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, we didn't just do... Well, we're just going to show Sophie Aldred's stories. He did pick out some weird and wonderful stuff. We were probably at the tail end of it. We probably were in that era where there were still rare stuff, you know, still rare stories and things that people hadn't seen or rare clips or whatever. So we had the video room, and I remember we had the meetings with the venue where we, we looked at... We went to a few different venues... You know, we, we eventually found the one we went with. What were you looking for in terms of the venue? We sort of put it up that we needed, obviously we needed a main sort of a panel room. Mm. We needed either a secondary panel room or, or a sort of a utility area and a video room. And then we wanted an area out the front where we could have like dealers tables and whatever. So we Cost tables, of, that sort of thing. Yeah, so you know, people who wanted to sell merchandise, people who wanted to sell their collections, clubs who wanted to advertise their magazines. And, and particularly um, important, a, a space where people who didn't want to watch that bit of the programming yeah. could actually mingle yeah, and socialise. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so, and, and preferably one that was near, you know, some sort of refreshment, like the bar would be open or, yeah. you know, you could get at least the cafe or something. And, and um, was it the members of the committee who were the organisers or were there anyone outside the committee who was also involved in organisation? Um, look, we had sort of the core group who were ultimately, I guess, the responsible ones. But then you would lean on people like, okay, I need pieces of equipment. Now, I, uh, at the time, and hello, Alex, if you're listening, um, I knew a bloke who really, we used to call him Mr. Plug-in Light-Up 
because he had a you know absolute garage just full of sound and video and yeah. all sorts of equipment and cabling and PCs and stuff. So mm. we did lean on him fairly heavily for, for some of the stuff we used over the weekend. You know, um, you'd call on other people in fandom to help distribute stuff. Well, I was going to say one, one example of that, and again, it just shows how amateur and, and, and grassroots these were you obviously need somebody to provide security overnight and make sure fans yep. aren't sleeping in the room or people don't rock up and shouldn't or do damage. Yep. So there was a friend we know, and again, hello, Craig, if you're listening, yes. who basically said in return for free entry to the convention, he would stay up all night, both yes. Friday and Saturday night, he and did. he would provide security to the convention, and that was our overnight security. It was. Wow. Um, a sleepless individual. Yeah, yeah, he did. Yeah, he, he did that at a few other cons. I remember uh, one of the multiverses, he and I, basically spent the whole night just, just wandering around the convention just... just looking at stuff but so yeah we did lean on people outside who came in and did things we had a couple of external people who came and presented panels and stuff for us anyone who's in goodies fandom Matthew K Sharp RIP but he gave a great dissertation on the Friday night when we did the cocktail party and game show part of it on what was it sex lies and filth of the Hartnell years in review or something like that <laughs> which was a great speech and I'm always sorry I think the video I can't find the video for it now yeah. which is a real shame because it was a great little little dissertation but it was so Richard we having having put in the hours to put this together and we, we, yeah. we, we, we won't sort of go into too much more detail on that but what was it like to have spent basically a year or more of your life put this thing together and then be waiting for Sophie Aldred to get on the plane um, and come to Australia. One of the big spurs, actually, for Time Storm, what became for me, like, right, okay, now I'm going to do this, was i uh, broken up with a, a long-term girlfriend the year before. And I would be honest and say, look, it was probably good that I was unattached, I think, at the time, because mm-hmm. I, I did put a lot of time in it, and I think that would have put a lot of strain had I been in a relationship at the time. So... My, my biggest fear, because the, the way we structured the convention, the way we structured Sophie's appearance at the convention, she recently got married. And I don't think she really had a proper honeymoon. So when this came up, it was very much a case, well, actually, we could probably turn this into an Australian holiday. But her and her husband, and look, they, they could turn this into a bit of an Australian adventure and get out of the UK for a few weeks. So, so for example, we turned one business class flight into, into two, two economy, economy class. Flights. Yeah, so paid her her fee. We negotiated a fee. And then instead of paying a business class airfare and whatever, we, yeah, we paid two economy class airfares for her and her husband to come out. We sort of arranged a bit of negotiation around what accommodation we would and wouldn't pay for, etc. and how the internal flights and that would work. Communications were by telephone? Or- Very, a uh, few emails, faxes, uh, phone calls to her agent. I spoke to her a couple of times prior to the convention and I think it was very much a lot of my early contact was actually through her agent because it was sort of okay well, I see these guys are legit and you know, probably, happened last well time. that's the thing she'd probably yeah. been burned last time Absolutely. so yeah a lot of the initial stuff was through her agent but probably as we got a bit closer to the time I actually dealt with her a few times as well when we was particularly when we were nutting out itineraries and when she was going to fly out and when she was going to be in Melbourne and that sort of stuff I did most of that directly with her um, not with her agent um, once we sort of got the fee out of the way basically I think that that was probably primarily where the agent was involved but I do remember probably sweating a bit when she got out here and she sort of sent me a note saying well we're in Australia and we're you know whatever and I'll, I'll touch base with you again in a couple of weeks when we're you know not far off heading down to Melbourne and then my, my main fear though was I just remember on the Friday afternoon we picked her up from her hotel. She came into Melbourne a couple of days before the convention and we sort of did the initial thing where we sort of took her around and showed her a few of the sites. And then 
she sort of said on the day before the convention, look, you know, um, Vince, her husband, and I, look, we just want to have Tampa wander around Melbourne basically before the convention. So, look, you know, we'll, it's all right. We'll sort of touch base on your Thursday night, but we, you know, you don't need to worry about us until Friday basically. So, all right, fine, that's cool. I've got plenty of stuff to keep me occupied. So, I, um, I think at that point we were literally sort of, you know, multiple cars owned by, you know, not yeah. very rich 20 year olds sh- sh- yeah. shuttling stuff yeah. from somebody's lounge to the convention. Um, yeah, yeah. There was a, a chap on the committee and he it was in a share house. And I think um, our relationship with his housemates was already fairly strained. Um, and I think when, because he lived not that far from the convention centre, so I think when we started turning up with carloads of stuff for the con and also leaving them in his share house, uh, I think that might have strained the relationship a bit further. But I do remember on the Friday, because there wasn't room in the car to take them down to the convention, so we chucked them in a cab. And I told the cab driver where to go. And he was like, yep, okay. And I said, we're going to follow you down. So, you know, just hang on for a minute. And he went, yep, 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 okay. Jumped in the cab and off he went. I was like, oh, for God's sake. So I drove down to the convention site and there were a couple of other committee were there. And I said, oh, Sophie gone up to her room. And I said, no, Sophie's not here. And I said, well, hang on. Um, I put Sophie in a cab and she should have been here probably about five minutes ago. Where is she? And they're like, well, we haven't seen her. She hasn't come in, and no reception hadn't seen her. She hadn't checked in or anything. And no mobile phones. And I was sort of sitting there thinking, yeah, no mobile phones. I know. And I was sitting there and I'm thinking, oh god, I've lost the guest. I've started. This is this is going to be the worst weekend of my life. The first thing I've done, I've lost the guest. Hey, Belisha's um, in the country, so you know. Well, you yeah, look, and, and we. I remember we um, got the car and sort of drove back out in the area around and the cab driver obviously didn't know where to take them even though he said he did and he just kicked them out basically on the corner of the road um, <laughs> and, and they were walking for anyone who, who knows the area around Rabbit in Melbourne they were basically just walking around the sort of corner of Nepean Highway and South Road oh my god um, going oh, well this and, and I sort of pulled up and I'm like I'm so sorry and uh, she was really good about it and we still had all the stuff in the car that we'd initially said they didn't have room they all just crammed in and we went back to the that was literally and it was <laughs> and we sort of got him in, and I'm thinking, oh my god, this is just all going to go bad. And and I had a radio station chasing me for a uh, last day or two beforehand for an interview, and I just kept putting them off. I was like, look, I really haven't got time to, to do this at the minute. And the guy rang the con center, and I rocked in. I got the guest checked in. And I thought, right, we're going to get all the crap unloaded from the car. We're going to breathe it for a few minutes, and then we'll start setting up. And this bike from the radio station rang again. And I was like. Oh, Sake. So I grabbed Sophie and I just said, look, here you go. Do you want to talk to them? Here you go. Would you? And look, again, she did an interview. And we finally got them up into their room. We got all the stuff unloaded from the car. We got up into the room we were using to store all the gear and stuff. And we packed all the con bags with the exception of the convention booklet. Because a lot of conventions and fan one ones, you would do a little thing where you'd have a little booklet, like you'd talk about the guest, you'd talk about the committee and what's in the program and there'd be a space for autographing and that sort of stuff. We packed everything except these and we had a guy whose job it was, that was his one job basically that day, was to go and pick up the convention books and the printers and bring them down so we could stuff them in the con bags. And I said, right, we better finish this because we're going to have to open Reggio in a minute. Where are the con books? I know, seriously, where are the con books? And you're like, oh, well, I haven't got them. I, 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 he, so, I, so, so let me perhaps yeah. take over because this is, this is where I come in. So whilst Richard was off collecting Sophie did on the Friday afternoon and getting those sort of things ready, I basically sort of 
bunked out of school about lunchtime because I was in year 11 at the time and there I was in my you know high school boys school blazer <laughs> and, and, and I was the only member of the convention there because I didn't have a car yep. so I was the only member of the committee who actually was just at the venue and wasn't liking gear and around, wasn't on the gear around so I suddenly found myself sort of re- 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 welcoming people from, who had arrived from Sydney and oh hello thank you for the con we'll be opening reception soon yep this is what's going on and sort of directing traffic and I was I, I ended up sort of sitting behind you know setting up the registration yeah, table and right. it was like well I, I can't give out the con bags because they haven't got the con book in them but you know let's get people to sign in let's start taking cash people owed us their last instalment and yeah then I saw this conversation where a member of the committee had not picked up the con book at which you turned to another member of the committee who was let me say well known for his um, raucous behaviour yes and and his rather um, flexible relationship with road laws (laughs) 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 and we we knew that the printer who was printing our books shut in about 45 minutes time now we did ring ahead and say look can you stay open and said look we'll be here for an extra 15 minutes but you've got an hour and this is Friday peak hour one side of the city to the other and this guy was told get to the get to the printer get there in time I don't care how many red lights you run we will pay your fines just get the books just, just go and you know, basically yeah. you had to do an 80 minute trip in 50 minutes Cheers. so yeah he did get back with the con books but I do remember on that Friday afternoon just thinking oh my god this is all just going to go wrong and, and this is just going to be the worst weekend of my life but I have to say once we got over those initial hurdles and everybody sort of took a deep breath and we got people into the bar and we did we did a sort of a Friday night sort of cocktail party where they could meet Sophie and, and her husband and we did a few like games you know, party games that sort of thing that, that sort of thing we had Matthew K Sharp's um, dissertation. dissertation and stuff while, while they were having a sort of a light buffet dinner once we sort of got into that and we could take a deep breath things actually then got a lot better and then the convention proper kicked off on Saturday morning I don't want to draw too much longer on Timestorm but it's no. worth reflecting on this being a very Australian style con in that we had one guest Sophie yep. it went from the Friday night to the Sunday afternoon yep. and, and, and she was the, the only official guest there yep. so she, she sort of anchored the whole thing but again it was very relaxed and I remember Sophie telling us afterwards just how fun it had been for her yep. that she was free you know obviously when she wanted to go back to her room and have some private time that was taken care of and we made sure that she had all that but if she wanted to just wander around and meet people she, she did and yeah, it was very did. relaxed yeah, and, and one of the mornings she actually just came down to breakfast early and was just sitting there in the in the sort of because they had a restaurant part in the hotel that was doing breakfast and yeah she just came down and sat in there and then people just sort of you know drifting past and whatever and well, so well my, my fondest memory is as somebody who was involved in organising the con so I didn't see a lot of the panels mm. uh, and often I was sitting next to her at autograph staff or manning the front desk or just getting stuff queued up but on the Saturday night, Richard was running a, a light, late night nuclear war game, yeah, yep. which which was fine. And the rest of the committee was sort of at a bit of a loose end because we were all staying on the venue. And so somebody just brought out a bottle of scotch. We were literally sitting in uh, on, on the stairs in the convention centre just drinking scotch from paper cups. And suddenly Sophie Aldridge just sort of wandering around saying, oh, you know, Vince wants an early night. I'm not ready to sleep. Um, oh, you guys are having fun. Give me, you know, give me a glass. And yeah. there, there we are just sitting on the steps and Sophie's drinking scotch with us and telling tales of the things that McCoy got up to that she couldn't really tell in daylight yeah, hours yeah, yeah. So, so it was it was a very relaxed sort of style I also just want to emphasize as well so, you, so you're looking at sort of 80 to 100 dollars yeah. medium price but but that was all inclusive in terms of the day activity yeah. so you got three autographs on each day so six for free yeah. which was very standard practice at the time and you paid extra for something like the cocktail party or the banquet yeah. but there was a sort of a thing of it being quite a not a high 
price thing, but it, it was it was a fairly decent whack of money. Yeah. But there was no gouging afterwards, and I use that word deliberately, knowing where the conversation's going to go. I think on the Sunday afternoon, once the con had finished and we'd sort of everyone had gone home and we'd sort of packed up, I I, I think there was a sort of a collective. <sighs> uh, we're saying it was sort of a little heat, and the following day we. Sophie was in Melbourne for a few more days, so we sort of did a few more of the sites. And we did deliberately on Monday sort of organise a trip to the Penguins uh, so nobody had to be moving too early on Monday morning. And I think you were the same, Dave. Um, I was absolutely knackered by the end of that weekend. Yeah. So it sounds like a high-risk but high-reward enterprise running Look, a convention. So some of the best fun I've ever had has been organising conventions. Look, they're high stress and there's a lot of work and a lot of running around. But I think at the end of it, and I, I my main memory actually from the end of Time Storm, just to close that off, I remember sitting in the in the room on the Sunday afternoon and, and I think Dave and some of the other guys were getting things signed by Sophie because there, there were a few of the committee who really hadn't had an opportunity to spend a lot of time with her. And certainly got to get autographs. No, so they were getting some stuff signed. I do remember sitting there and just thinking, we actually pulled this off. My God, we actually did this and it worked. Mm. Yes. Well, well, I think I think the moment when we really relaxed was one of the presents we gave Sophie at the end of the convention was an Australian rules football. Yes, and, and indeed a midnight oil CD. And that's right. And she, Sophie's quite into sport. Her husband was a sports comment, not not a commentator, but as part of his um yeah, magazine was, show work, he, yeah. did, he did stuff involving sports. Was quite into sports or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So so they said, hey, well look. Why don't we go to the car park and yes. just, just kick the footy? And suddenly there's six or seven of us and Sophie and her husband kicking a footy around the, the back of the car park. Yeah. And you think, wow, we, we, we actually got to do this. That was pretty cool. Richard, we will move on from Time Storm, but thank you yeah. for a very sort of in-depth look at it there. You mentioned there, Rob, particularly the high-risk, high-reward and, yeah. and, and the cost involved. And what we learned collectively as fans in Melbourne was that if you can share the risk around a larger group, yep. then you can actually do more with less risk. And that's how the multiverse concept was born out. I don't want to take more than a few minutes on this, no, Richard, no, but, no, but, 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 but tell us what multiverse was. And particularly, I want to talk about how it first brought our encounters with the, uh, shall we say, American style of convention guest. Yeah, so multiverse was an idea that if all the sort of different fan groups from across genres and whatever would have pulled their resources, you could obviously do something a lot bigger. So instead of having one guest, you could maybe get three or four guests, you know, and you might get a Babylon 5 guest, a Red Dwarf guest, and a whatever. So there's something for everybody type deal. And, and you've, you've got, got different clubs sharing the resources, you've got different yeah. membership pools being advertised to. That, that's the thing, you know, and you've got different people active in the clubs who've got, you know, different strengths and whatever. So you could sort of run something for everybody and you could run different themes and what have you. Probably being a little snarky, I think it was an awesome idea on paper. The reality sometimes turned out to be a bit different. You probably had the same people doing most of the work a lot of the time. Yeah. I do think, look, they ran some pretty impressive events. We got a lot of guests. We, well, most of the cast of Red Dwarf. We had a lot of people from B5, a few from Trek, etc. We had people from Stargate, plus a lot of movie screenings as mm. well. Probably the biggest event I think Multiverse ran, just, just to keep this moving, uh, was probably Multiverse 3, which wasn't the one we mentioned earlier that, that, that probably didn't quite come off. Multiverse 3 was late 90s, and it had as its guest Claudia Christian from B5, Robert Llewellyn from uh, Red Dwarf and Richard Hanley who was a quite well known scientific author he wrote the metaphysics of Trek he he did yes he did as I said that was the biggest event we ran Robert Llewellyn was like a lot of UK guests he was really laid back he was happy just to dive in and do pretty much whatever was asked We, we did find and my experience probably with guests is some of the the UK versus what the US guests expected were different 
um, because the structure of their conventions were different. Um, so so let, let's let's take that point. We were very used to UK guests coming out yeah. who were very, particularly ones from classic Doctor Who, who were you know at a certain stage in their career or in some cases at the end of their career, they were very used to look. They would just come along. They would really enjoy the very relaxed Australian yeah. vibe. They'd mix with the fans, and when the autograph queue was there, they were like, "Well, I've been assigned an hour of autographing or two hours of autographing. Yeah. I'll, I'll just do whatever's in front of me." Sometimes we'd impose practical limits, like three per person, or whatever, yeah. so you don't get somebody getting the entire target collection autographed. Yeah. But, but but it was a very relaxed vibe. It, it, it was. And they were quite happy to, you know, just dive in and do whatever was asked of them on the weekend. I know we've talked about this a lot in the Goodies podcast. I have to say the best guest probably I've ever dealt with was Jim Book Taylor. He was amazing. He really was. He was an amazing bloke to deal with. But when we had Claudia for for Multiverse, um, she clearly was very used to the US style con. So, you know, she sort of immediately picked up there really didn't seem to be any security. She also, you know, was quite sort of laid back vibe and the fact that the fans could actually come up to you and talk to you and stuff because they tend to maintain that distance. We obviously didn't perhaps quite get some of the vibe of how the US cons work, but we then also found out she had, at the time, I think, like four stalkers or something. Like, she couldn't even go down into her own mailbox, basically, because you had people had seen her on TV and were really obsessed with her. And her convention experiences probably hadn't always been that positive. And that took a bit of getting used to, and it took a bit of work on our part too to probably get to a point where she felt comfortable, but we hadn't sort of, you know, wrecked the expectations of the people who had probably come along to see her. So my involvement with Multiverse wasn't as a member of the committee, but often I'll be assigned a job, you know, as a, as a helper in some way on the actual day. Uh, but but the, I would balance that with being an actual attendee at these conventions. And I can remember going and getting an autograph with Robert Quellen and I got a photo of him yep. and all the rest of that. That was really cool. And then going to line up for Claudia Christian. And for the first time I'd ever seen this, there was her agent or an agent sitting next to her yep. um, saying, this is how much we're selling her photos for. This is how much we're selling autographs for. And you can only get a photograph signed if it's one of our official photographs. Yeah. And, and I remember sort of like, oh, I've, I've got to pay yeah. $10 to get my video signed by her. Yeah. <laughs> Which I did, but that's the first time I've ever encountered that. Uh, my, my memory is he sort of changed that approach a bit. I think once she realised, particularly Robert Llewellyn wasn't charging for anything, he did walk up to you to get something signed, he'd stand quite actually stand there and do a photograph with you or whatever. And I, and I think she sort of, again, the compromise was sort of, well, look, if you buy a photo off my table, I'll sign you know a couple other things if yes. you want to get a video cover signed or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and I think... It was probably the first time we've really encountered somebody who came out expecting to sell merchandise and actually be paid for their signature. So before we segue into the more professional cons that came later, we should mention some of the Sydney conventions that we went to. And Rob, you came to us with one of those, which we had the joy of going to them simply as fans. Mm. The first couple, we actually took the overnight train, 12 hours each yes. way to Sydney, and that, that was an experience, but as, as we sort of... Part of the fun. Part of the fun. Good memories now, although I wasn't at the time. But by the time, Rob, you came up with us. So by that by that stage, airfares had come down a bit, particularly as the domestic airfare market opened up, so it was possible to fly to Sydney. And we got together, you know, groups of seven, eight, nine, booked a couple of suites at the venue. The hotel management certainly knew which suites they were by the end of it. Yes. Um, yes. Um, and, and, and we would go up. One of the things that's particularly relevant about Australian fandom at that time is that I certainly know for us at Timestorm the difference between breaking even and not was getting that dozen fans from Sydney, a few from Perth, a few from Adelaide, yep. a few from Brisbane. If we hadn't had sort of 20 or so interstate fans, we couldn't have run that con. Mm. And and certainly I think from Sydney at the time, again, 
a dozen of us coming up from Melbourne, a few from other cities going yeah. up to Sydney. That was the difference between those cons being viable and not. So, so although we occasionally chatted about the idea of could we share a guest, you know, you have it one weekend, we have it the next, and they do Sydney and Melbourne, that just wasn't viable because if you didn't have each piece of them going to each other's cons, they just couldn't run. There just wasn't mm. a big enough fan pool in Australia to do it. Look, we went up there, I think... The first time that I met a doctor was at those events. So yeah, Sylvester right. McCoy, Colin yep. Baker, Nicola Bryant, uh, Annika Wills, Katie Manning turned up a couple of times and yep. dominated things with her personality, which was an interesting right. experience sometimes. Mm-hmm. But look, Rob, this is kind of where you come in. What was your experience of meeting a doctor for the first time? Um, well, standing in front of Colin and getting him to sign something was actually quite intimidating because he, he, he struck me as being a sort of... Uh, strong personality, yeah. which you, you can you can get. But having said that, actually sitting down on the Sunday afternoon, uh, probably nursing a bit of a hangover, uh, when he was actually up top on the stage speaking, he was captivating. I mean, I really, really enjoyed listening to him. He was he was great. He was fantastic. Yeah, he, was, he was he was uh, he was involved. He uh, I mean, obviously he told these anecdotes a number of times because it's been about fifteen years since he had been sacked. It'd been 15 years since he left the role, but I really enjoyed what I had what I had to hear from him because I hadn't been jaded. I wasn't jaded in terms yep. of you know listening to the same thing over and over again, and it was it was a really interesting experience to actually have a living real live actor, you know, um, something of, not a hero, but something someone you admired. Yeah. And there's a bit of sympathy, obviously, for yeah, he's a very entertaining guest. Obviously. He is. He is. Oh, I mean, I've seen he, him a couple of times. He, he's not not. I mean, he's a showman in in, in, in a certain regard, and they all all the best guests are. They know how mm. to put on a performance. It is a type of acting acting that they're doing. I mean, and overall, the the, the convention experience, I, I was perfectly fine with it. They had a small dealers room, and I enjoyed that. And. Uh, I think that was when Gary Russell was in attendance, wasn't he? Yes, yes. That's right. They yes. auctioned off unedited version of one of McGann's f- stories, um, Minuet in Hell or something like that. Oh, we finished. We finished. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, no, actually, the audio. Oh, right. I think so. They said you weren't allowed to uh, you know, replay it on. Yes, of like that. But no, that was a lot of fun. It was. It was, it was a lot of fun. But the, the main thing was actually going up with my friends. I sat next to you on the plane, and you, I hate flying. And Dave, uh, they said, "We're going there." <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. Um, Look, they were very, very relaxed events again. Um, Again, we would be looking at this stage, you know, we would be getting stuff from the UK about these big UK events where you'd have three or four or five doctors sitting on the stage, plus the master, plus a whole bunch of companions. And and here's us in Australia having sort of scrimped and saved and got together enough memberships to get two guests Mm. to come to Sydney. But, But again, a very relaxed vibe. You got three autographs with each guest each day as yep. part of your ticket. Uh, I can remember Nicola Bryan sort of coming around on a couple of occasions and sitting with us and, and when she discovered we actually wanted to talk about stuff other than Doctor Who and just chat to her as a human being, she spent a lot of time at our yeah, table just, did, just chatting to us. And, really nice. Yeah, very, very relaxed sort of events. Elizabeth Sladen, again, there was a three and a half day convention that went, yeah, literally from sort of about 6pm on Friday night, mm-hmm. right through the close of business on Monday and I think by the time we all staggered out to get our 12-hour overnight train back to Melbourne, we were all utterly exhausted. Yeah, and I think she was too, poor lady. I, I think she did a lot of work that weekend. Yeah, and, and, and even when we met Sylvester McCoy, I, I felt I felt cheesed off at the time, I'll admit, but I did feel sorry for him later in that this guy had basically been flown to Australia, had incredibly bad jet lag, put in front of a bunch of fans who want him, you know, basically dance, monkey, dance, and now sign my autographs for me. And, and even had a chair thrown past him at one point in an anecdote we will tell one day on a um, After Dark podcast. Yeah, one, one day we will do the unplugged. Uh... Yeah, um, that's a story we can't tell right now. But, but you know, put up with a lot. 
clearly nursing jet lag, clearly without any sleep. Yeah. And, and so that was tough. We then, let's get into the era of the more professional cons, because I can remember in 99, when we had the first US-style big con out here, when a, a, a guy who actually had run these companies in New Zealand... Yes. Sort of let it be known that he was running this event in Melbourne over two days, and he was charging like $10 for a ticket, and there were going to be 20 guests of various different statures, including Fraser Hines from Doctor Who, but Trek guests, B5 guests, and, and a whole bunch of like anime stuff, comic stuff that nobody in terms really knew who all these people were, but everybody knew enough of them to want to pay 10 bucks to go. And suddenly the whole formula had changed. Instead of getting 100 people at 100 bucks a ticket, he was getting six or 700 people at $10 a ticket. Or, or thousands. Thousands, yeah, potentially, yeah. And I can remember all of us sort of going to that event and just feeling that nothing was going to be quite the same anymore. Mm. What was your memories of that, Richard? Because you, you sort of had a bit of a... Well, the Multiverse Committee had a bit of a role liaison with we, this guy. We, we did. Because he was from New Zealand, he didn't have a lot of contacts in Australia. We, we did provide sort of some manpower or whatever uh, for him at different times over the weekend. It, it was probably the first, certainly in Melbourne, I can't remember if there'd been one of these in Sydney prior, but certainly in Melbourne, this was the first of the big sort of extravaganza, you know, huge sort of Comic-Con style events. Mm. Uh, I mean, now they're sort of old hat. You've got things like Supernova and Oz Comic-Con and whatever. Yeah. So they're, they're, they're a bit passe. But, because it was actually in a massive convention hall, anyone knows Jeff Shed? Yeah. It was in a couple of segments there. I remember unloading some stuff and actually driving my car in through the loading bay and going <laughs> around into the, driving my car in the interior bit and we were packing up and unloading. There was multiple things happening all the time. You'd have, you know, Fraser Hines on stage one. If you want to go over the other side, you'd have an author on somewhere over there. You'd have a, a you know, comic guy signing. Um, there was heaps of dealers. There was also exhibitions and things. They had, um, he hooked up with some local wrestlers and uh, one of the wrestling groups and that sort of stuff. And they were, um, they were putting on a demonstration and whatever. So it was just, it was a big extravaganza with multiple things. There's too much to take in really at any given time. Yeah, and I can certainly recall going to the Fraser Hines Q&A which was only an hour which seemed very very little for what we were used to and Fraser very much was escorted to the stage Mm. pointed at the audience did his Q&A and then escorted off the stage and then later on he was escorted to his autograph queue where you paid to line up you paid to get the photo and that was probably the big difference it was only 10 bucks to get in but you then had to pay for everything afterwards Um, you wanted a photo you had to pay you wanted an autograph you had to pay anything else you know in some ways it actually worked out probably more expensive if there were multiple people there that you wanted to see and you wanted a photograph and an order you know an autograph from each one that could turn out to be quite an expensive experience it, but it sounded like yeah it's lost its uh, innocence almost a convention making where we, we sort of did sort of where's the love really there's no yeah that's um, the thing now, so and, now. And that probably was exacerbated because there was the second type of pro group that did what we were talking about earlier, probably more with the signing events. So they would just get, you know, half a dozen Doctor Who guests for a weekend and they'd just book out a floor in a hotel and you'd meet, you know, um, you remember the one here where they had like four doctors and, and five companions or something. Yeah. And they all had about an hour on stage each and it was, I can't remember, it was 40, 40 Yeah, 40, 50 yeah. bucks, I think, to go and then. But basically, you had to pay for autographs. You had to pay for, for yeah. photos and stuff. And and, they, and I think the thing there was, at the really big mega events, there was always something else happening that you could go and look at. At a lot of these sort of pro... They're not fan group. I mean, they're sort of 
pro-cons, I think they're called. So Corp- they're, they're corporate. They're corporate yeah. cons. So, yeah. Well, yeah, I was going to say pro-cons, probably simply because they sort of had a vague format of some of the traditional fan-run events because they weren't a big extravagant. No, but they were run for profit. They were run for profit. But the thing that always got me about those was there was never any alternate programming at most of them. So oh, there's a couple of things there I want to tease out. Certainly at that first one that we went to with Fraser Hines as the token Doctor Who guest, yeah. we were fortunate enough, or so you were fortunate enough, Richard, to organise to uh, do an interview with him afterwards, which he was very happy to do down at the pub. Yes. And, and he was talking to us there about what he had seen personally as a guest, where he said, you go to you know, UK fa- events and, and, and the like, and you know, it, it, part of his role is to mingle with the fans, be very relaxed, ha- have fun and actually enjoy the weekend. Whereas he had seen as a guest of the US conventions how restricted he was where a security guard would meet him they would escort him everywhere and and he told us the story of when he and Nicola Bryant did an event in the US where they then <laughs> went, 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 went to the hotel restaurant afterwards to have a meal and they ordered a bottle of wine and the security guy or the minor with them said oh well that we, uh, we we're not sure if that's appropriate and Fraser Hines said well no no I'm ordering the first bottle of wine, then Nicola's ordering, ordering the second. Mm. And, and he said that they were absolutely just apoplectic that that was their relationship. Yeah. And then they said, and, you know, when we've done that, oh, there's, there's a bunch of um, convention fans over there, we're going to go and have a chat to them. And no, 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 you can't do that. Said, well, that. That's what we do. Rather than sitting in his hotel for the night, yeah. that a bunch of people who loved him and loved the show would say, let's take you to the local pub, We'll have a meal. Have we'll a have a meal. We'll have more than more than a few drinks. It turned out to be. Well, he, did, he, yes. he certainly was very keen, but uh, but that was re- really really good. Whereas I can remember if we now go to those more professional sort of multi Doctor Who events that you were talking about, Richard. We were talking to a couple of the guests where they said literally it's you 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 wake it up in the morning, you go and you perform. Yep. At the end of that event, you are all put into a minivan together like like circus and clowns. You're shuffled off the airport and you go and do it all again. All again the next day. We had a club table at one of them, and we were pretty much opposite the green room. And Colin Baker was sitting in there waiting, obviously, for his turn to go on stage. And he was just sitting in there, you know, by himself, obviously a bit bored. Saw our table, we sort of waved at him through the glass, and then he came out to talk to us for a few minutes. And all of a sudden, it was sort of like unauthorized guest contact. Lurt, lurt, danger, danger. And suddenly there were like three minders. No, no, Colin, can you just come back into the green room? Yeah. And he's like, I'm just talking to these guys. Yeah. You know, um, there, there, was, there was another time when he was sort of getting towards the end of the con where he just came up and said, oh, you know, I've, I've been told I have 27 minutes to pack my bag and be in the bus. Well, you know what? I'm a human being and uh, I'm going to take my time and chat to you guys for a bit just to prove I can. <laughs> <laughs> in in, in yep. contrast, though, uh, we witnessed one particular guest. Now, it wasn't it wasn't a classic series uh, on-screen talent, so we'll make that clear but but a guest yes. who so so there was gold show, le- remain show remain nameless but there was gold level membership of this which basically got you front row seating for all the events a couple of free autographs and a luncheon with all the guests in, in, in the green room and this particular person came down the lift from his hotel room checked to make sure no one was looking and there were no fans in the area snuck across to the green room snuck in through the side grabbed a couple of sandwiches and snuck back out again, back up to his room. Yep. And and very clearly did not want to speak to any fans. Nope. And later on, when he was in the autograph queue, a fan actually tried to talk to him for longer than the approved period, and he called security on them. Mm. Which just... And this was a UK guy. Like, like we were not expecting yeah. this. So so that, that really said to me just how some of these 
things have changed and McGann was really engaging when he was there yeah. Peter Davis and Janet Fielding were less interested in engaging casual with the fans but they, they'd certainly got a shtick and a routine yeah. And, yeah. And, and, and they knew that they're on stage for their 50 minutes let's give them a show yeah. they, were, they were very good like that but as I say less interested in meeting the guests but it felt incredibly commercial I can remember the first time I went to one of those and, and the first thing you do after registering is they take you to the autograph booking table where they say, right, you need to buy your autograph tokens and it's, you know, $20 for that guest, $30 for that guest. How, how many do you want to buy? And, you know, I bought sort of one for each of the guests I want and spent maybe $70. But they were very, very happy that somebody opened their wallet and yes. put 1000 bucks on the table and got all their target novelizations from Castrovalva to Survival signed. And yep. they were perfectly happy to take their money and have that person stand in the queue for half an hour yep. and, and get that done. And and there was no discounts. It wasn't a case of, all right, well, look, you got, all right, look, fine, we'll just call it, you know, 250 bucks and look, you can get all these signed. It was, no, we are going to count each of these books out and whatever, and you are going to pay for each individual one. The final thing I just wanted to say there, and it's something you intimated before, Richard, is what we discovered in, the, in these pro-fan cons, if you want to call mm. them that, there wasn't the alternative program we were used to, which no. was always that something was happening in a couple of venues. Yeah. What they found is that when all the guests went away to do all the autographs and the photos, there was nothing on. But we were able to perhaps very sneakily say to them on the second a occasion... Times. yeah, we did. We, we, we basically approached them as the local Doctor Who fan club and said, look, in return for a free table to advertise our club in the hall, we will run two or three hours of counter-programming. And it That's wasn't, true. It wasn't yeah. much more than, you know, we got up there and put up... We did a panel on cliffhangers, for example, we and did, put in yes. our best and worst cliffhangers and did some, you know, classic clips. And there are a lot of casual fans there who weren't members of clubs and didn't listen to podcasts yeah. who hadn't seen the cliffhanger of the Horns of Norman Part 1 for a while and were just, you know, but laughing yeah, at Rory soon. Yeah, because so. that, that was probably the thing. And that's why I said they were probably a bit soulless with no love because there was very much, there was really no opening or closing ceremonies to a lot of them. Yeah. It was just, this is the timetable, so if you turn up here and you'll see Colin Baker or whatever... There was no closing thing. There was nothing with all guests on stage, nothing no. like that. And it was very much a case, well, you've seen the guest, you've got your photo, you've got your autograph. Get out. Why are you still here? Exactly. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Look, I can, I can remember, because, again, we made these social occasions. There were people that we saw at those events we hadn't seen for a long time. Indeed. But I, I, seriously, I can remember we were standing around the convention having a chat with some of our mates yeah. and looking out the window, and there was literally all the con guests being sort of shoved onto a minibus, yeah. you know, almost with the whips in hand and, yeah. and driven off, yeah. literally, literally to fly and, to Adelaide and do the whole thing again yeah, tomorrow. Yeah. And I have to say, I mean, we, we sort of said we turned it into a social thing, and it, it is actually interesting how much of our fandom life revolved around pubs, but I could say if you were somebody who wasn't active in fandom, didn't really know anybody, and you turned up to one of these things, I could see you probably not having that great a day to be honest because no, no. there was nothing there to keep you actually engaged or anything it was just no. well, here's the guest give us your money having said that so we're not just totally dumping on these types of events look I through some of these professional ones look met guests I probably never would otherwise have met and look I have to say the guests on the whole have all been really good value Absolutely, they turned up, they did their bit. There are mm. guests that I wouldn't have met otherwise because we couldn't afford to bring out mm. some of those guests on the on the back of, you know, the sort of f- fandom event that we would do. Terrence Dix is a classic example. Yeah. Mm. I got to meet Terrence Dix, I got to have, say hello to Terrence Dix and get an autograph from him and he would never have been financially viable to bring out no. in the old-style fan cons. But as one guest amongst 
uh, a, a number in a con that was basically being sold in five or six capital cities and, and a lot of money was being turned over yeah. and generated, you can afford to bring out Terrence Dix. You can yeah. afford to bring yeah. out a whole lot of, you know, Wendy Padbury, yeah. guests that we just wouldn't have been able to bring out. So, I, I mean, Yeah, I mean, I went to that Matt Smith event, which is really, it was just basically, as you said, a uh, turn up, get your photograph, get your signature and bugger off, you know, and then when those times where you sort of wait for the autographs to happen, they just shoved you in a massive convention centre watching Time of Angels. Now, it was bad not watching it first time around, but there was no alternate programming. No. The host had clearly not any idea about Doctor Who or anything like that. So, yeah. yeah. And and again, my worst convention experience was only about a couple of years ago where I went to one of the big Comic-Con-style conventions that um, Peter Capaldi and Pearl Mac and John Barrowman were at. And, And look, I got to see them all on stage, but literally I saw... Capaldi and Mackie on stage together, not even separately, together for 40 minutes. Mm. And I spent at least an hour in each of their queues, probably more in John Barrowman's case. I I spent four or five hours that day in queues just to get one autograph. And had I I not known a few people there, it was like, hey, I haven't seen you in a while. Let's let's go, you know, grab a sandwich. I would have had an absolutely terrible time and paid a considerable sum of money to, to do it. To stand around in queues. To stand yeah. around in queues and, yeah. and, and see a guest in a hot shed in, in the distance doing about four questions. You know, John Barrowman tried to make it, you know, work worthwhile. Yeah. And, and I think I said on the Doctor Who show at the time, early on in John Barrowman's autograph queue, he was genuinely trying to make each autograph an experience and have a laugh with each guest and talk to them a- a- until he was sort of pointing out there was about 400 people in the queue and that was just the tickets for the morning session and then another afternoon session of 500 or so to do Jeez. and you know sorry sorry, John just work through your queue yeah, kind of like sort of. Oh, yeah, yeah absolutely yeah. <laughs> um, the, the flip side being that at some of those events there are you know <laughs> Lot, lot, not lesser guests, but lesser well-known or lesser known yeah. in Australia sort of guests from uh, older or more obscure shows who'd never had long autograph lines. Mm. And there's been a couple of times, I can remember a couple of guests from DS9 uh, at Multiverse, uh, a couple of guests from uh, Smallville at that, at that con with Peter Capaldi, yeah. where there was no one in their queue. And I, I just walked up and I said, oh, g'day mate, my name's Dave. And you know, loved your work and just want to shake your hand and pleased to meet you. And they were very happy to engage, but give it a minute or two and there would be a functionary security, yeah, security right. coming yeah, along yeah. and, yeah. you know, you didn't pay for the privilege of that handshake. Please, yeah, get, out please get out of the way. Yeah. We'll, we'll close on a couple of favourites sort of things, but the last main thing to cover is, Mark, you've been to not just a UK con, but arguably the UK yes. con. Tell, oh, us, yes. tell us about that and how it compared to your Australian experiences. Yes, I actually was fortunate enough to go up to the UK to the uh, 50th anniversary convention. So that week when I was in the UK, there was a big build-up of Doctor Who-related uh, events and, and, and obviously a lot of news and, and things like that. I remember where I was staying with my family in the UK. The TARDIS turned up in the local town. I had a bit of a competition on Twitter to try and find the TARDIS. So, uh, you know, a few of us all found the TARDIS. That was really cool. But the day before the convention, I was down in Cardiff for the Doctor Who at the Doctor Who Experience. So you sort of psyching yourself up for that, but um, the next day I went to the, the, the convention. And it was um, amazing. The facility where it was being held, the, the convention center, was just amazing. You know, it, it was a mixture of, I suppose, they're trying to. I think they're trying to get that balance from the commercial side, but also, the, I suppose, the the engagement side as well. So you, you, there was just different events, different venues all all over the place. I was lucky to see. You know, there was the, Tom Baker was only going to be there on a Saturday. So I was lucky to see a stage of Tom Baker, you know, Davison, the classic doctors, as it were. I um, saw that you had to pay for autographs as well. Was uh, which there a crowding system or something, depending on which autographs you got? Was that? I can't remember. I'll be honest with you, I can't remember. But I know I got a Tom Baker 
I got in line for Tom Baker and very quickly, you know, said hi, I'm from Australia. And he goes, oh, oh you know, we'll come over this way to see you, Tom. And, and that sort of stuff where, you know, next door Janet Fielding had nobody there. But I said, hi, Janet, I met you in Sydney a few years ago. And she was all right until, as you said, the aforementioned, you know, people came over. But it was just the, the layout of it was just like you had exhibits there, you know, you're walking around the room and I was introduced to, to Graham Harper, a few mutual person. You know, they had a, a room where you can listen to anecdotes by, you know, William Russell and they talk about the different years of the program. It was actually quite overwhelming. It was for one, I was only there for one day and I had a ticket for the second day, but was so done because such a big day. We didn't go the second day and I really regret not going, this, like going and just sort of taking my time and absorbing it more. But it was just absolutely full on. It was just amazing. It was just, yeah, it was very, um, yeah, it was just, a, it was an amazing experience, you know. And then you sort of think about when they did the, you know, the 20th anniversary Doctor Who, you know, it's like they had the big American con. You think, God, they should have had the sense then to do, fly them to the UK, have them in the UK, then fly them to America and fly them to Australia. Yeah, you well, know what I mean? Because it's, it's a fairly big market then. Yeah. So, yeah, there's so many missed opportunities, but things like that weren't happening but it was look it was an amazing experience um, but compared to some of the other cons I've been to recently or even the BBC the Doctor Who World Tour I think they did in, in Sydney a few years ago with, with Capaldi was there and Sylvester McCoy was there as well and Moffat was there and uh, that was actually okay as well they had that and Mark Gaddis was there as well and uh, I just remember seeing Sylvester McCoy sort of being you know walking down towards the you know the area the, the stage area and, you know, people walking up to him and saying hi, you know. But, yeah. And again, people, you know, shaking him off sort of thing. But that was actually quite a good event too, actually, in retrospect. I regret not going to Sydney to see that one because yeah. I, they wouldn't have had to go to that awful convention to see Capaldi later. But yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it does demonstrate, though, that although we have obviously perhaps favoured the old school fan style events over the professional ones, of course, mm, yeah. of course of our discussion, it is very clear, though, that it is possible to have professional events that are not soulless. Yes. And, and, and where there is a certain sense of relaxedness about them mm-hmm. and where you can actually do that. And, and it's important to sort of have that balance. And again, I do acknowledge that in this day and age, the only way that we're going to see some of the guests that we have seen is through a professional event. Yeah. And to this day, the one thing that I still envy the UK people about is those people who are just completely unprofitable to come out and do overseas stuff. People like Philip Hinchcliffe and the script editors. You know, I would, I would love to hear Eric say would do Q and A. You know, I would love mm. to hear Andrew Carmel do Q and A. Philip Hinchcliffe. Some yeah. of those behind the scenes people, I've actually value in some ways more than some of the, the front of camera people now, yeah. just because of yeah. the fact. But there's no way you could ever afford to fly Eric Saywood to Australia to do a con. And have no. it be viable? No. No, no, no. no. And in the UK, obviously, those guys are more accessible and they go and do them. So no, yeah. and it's yeah. interesting that in the UK there has been a bit of a pushback to that old school thing. And I do encourage anyone who's interested in that to listen to the Diddly Dumb podcast, who are the official podcast of the Dwass events now. Yeah. So they've done episodes behind the scenes of some of those Dwass events, and there is clearly there a push to get back to that Correct. more sort of yeah. social yeah. and, 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 and yeah. um, personal event. And I think they're having, you know, they're having obviously issues trying to get new series people who are now expecting the vast amounts of money as opposed to and even some of the classic people now actually are sort of yeah. trying to expect that sort of money as well so well, why are they getting that well why aren't they getting that as well yeah so, and, and yeah. certainly in terms of the new series people I totally understand that the opportunity loss in terms of giving up a week to do a con mm. if, if you're consistently in work in Hollywood mm. you're actually giving up far more than the con can pay you mm. so I, I, I get that but look we'll, we'll wrap that all up we've taken quite a journey over 30 years what are your closing thoughts and perhaps favourite memories of your time in conventions Mark we started with you so we'll start again uh, I think look 
definitely the camaraderie and, and meeting people and, and sort of catching up with people is a big highlight as well but uh, just being able to, I mean you know we sort of slag off some of the, the larger ones but just getting that experience to meet doctors and I've been lucky enough to have been able to go to you know actually pay the little bit extra and having a meal next to Peter Davison or Paul McGann and, and you know if you want to chat to a, a Doctor Who guest don't talk to them about Doctor Who you put, you're going to get a much better conversation out of them mm. as opposed to saying you know remember in episode 3 of this or whatever don't do it yeah. don't do it engage them about music you know other, other shows they've been in or any, you know like I was having a great conversation with Paul McGann but you know he, he helped build a, a house in Nepal they wouldn't have known that They've been great. I mean, you know, having autographs of Colin, you know, Colin Baker and that sort of stuff. Great memories. But some, I think now I'm a little bit wary of some of those. Oh, God, I really don't go looking for uh, comic, you know, not comic, comic Armageddon's and those sort of things. I really don't go to those here because I just know what they're going to be like. It's basically a bit of a cattle show. So, you know, in terms of memories and everything like that, I've been very fortunate to meet, you know, doctors and companions and, um, you know, get their little autographs and, and things like that. So, yeah, I'm grateful. No, I certainly echo what you were saying there. I think, Richard, you'll remember of Whovention when Nicola Bryan came and sat on our table and said, oh, so I guess you're all Doctor Who fans. What are you chatting about? And we said, we're actually talking about the bill at the moment. Yes. And, and, and she started talking about like friends of hers who'd worked on the bill and, yeah. and, and then that, that just took us off into a whole new conversation. That's right. And yeah. We were just chatting. So, Richard, what are your sort of big memories and thoughts? Wow. Um, again, probably from the organising standpoint, it is... I mean, I've got some great memories. It probably is the camaraderie, mm. I think, and, and probably that sense of achievement at the end when you do it and it comes off and, look, everybody goes home happy and that sort of stuff. I've been really proud probably some of the events I've done too in a way, yeah, but I think we've been a part of. But for me, probably the, the ones I've gone to more as a guest, in some ways it's probably been less about the guests, I think, as I alluded to earlier, maybe in some cases more about socialising and probably meeting other fans and, you know, catching up with people you know who live in the state, that sort of stuff. And, I mean, the argument always is really, you know, you shouldn't need a convention probably to talk to your friends, but it is a great way to catch up with people and, and, and you know, get some interesting conversations going and whatever. So that, that, that's probably from the journey. I think if I had to pick... I'm biased about Time Storm, obviously, because that was, you know, the one I... You know, You're closely involved. Yeah, I was, yeah, and then that's yeah. probably... Time Storm was brilliant. And, it was, yeah, and, and it was a I, success. It was. And look, yeah. it is one of my fandom regrets that we never got a second one off the ground. We did have a couple of goes, and we sort of you know, fell over each time. So I was disappointed about that. I think probably the best convention I was involved with, and it's not a Doctor Who one, was the Goodies Con. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we ran here in 2000, and I know that's not Doctor Who, but... Um, that was an awesome weekend. Once I went to, I'm actually going to nominate a convention called Novacon, um, which I went to in 95, uh, which had John Levine as a guest of honour. And look, he was a really entertaining guest and everything, but that was very much on the social side because I got talking to a lot of the guys. I knew a couple of the guys in Newcastle fandom already, and I sort of met a heap of others, and we just had, you know, every night we were just sitting in the bar just, just talking crap, basically. But I had an amazing time that weekend. And it was really, it was a really, really laid back, fun event, and I've got a lot of happy memories from that weekend. Um, so I think probably it's the ones I attended as a guest uh, would be that one. Dave, 
Uh, look, I'm just going to end with a cu- couple of comments. The first is perhaps the most bizarre convention moment I had ever wasn't at a Doctor Who one. It was at a Star Wars convention where... Oh, yes. I, I forgot about I, this. I actually, yes. I actually hadn't bought a ticket because it was quite expensive, but, Richard, you were sitting behind the club table for the convention, and, yes. and you actually rang me and said, look, I'm completely and utterly bored here. No one's checking security. They've, they've packed up the retro table. There's only like there's only about three hours left of the convention, yep. and he said, look, just come down and keep sneaking and keep me company. Yeah. So I... I, I did I stack down and we, we had the little VCR and telly on the on the table yeah. and um I happened to have a Blake Seven tape in the in, in the bag and we said oh let's just put on an episode of Blake Seven and watch it because because no one was doing anything the, the convention yeah, was, winding was winding down it was winding down so we, we sort of sat there and we we're watching Blake Seven and then this sort of short bearded guy came up and was sort of just standing there and we were sort of a bit like well that's that's a bit weird but okay and he's watching this and then he sort of goes hey that's Blake Seven isn't it. And we're like, yeah, yeah, mate, yeah, 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 good. And then he paused and he said, oh, there's Avon, isn't it? And we go, yeah, that's, that's Avon, yeah, yeah. yeah. And he's gone, yeah, yeah, I, uh, I based the character of Taylor and Carl on Avon, you know. And there was that pause, we've gone, you're Timothy Zard? Oh, my God, you're Timothy Zard! Yes. And, and there we were chatting to Timothy Zard about Black Seven. Well, yes, and, and then, unfortunately, again, with a mind that sort of came and jumped on us. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but that, that was a very unexpected moment that did come out. But, look, yeah. look, it's it's... The very casual, just genuine chats you have with the guests that matter, yeah. and, and and I do have to highlight Colin Baker mm-hmm. as being just an absolutely lovely guy who would absolutely go out of his way to just go and find fans to chat to, and yep. having just spent time talking to him. And again, the first time I ever spoke to Colin Baker, as as you said, Rob, there was a certain amount of um, awe mm, when, when yeah. you, you you meet a doctor for the first time, and and you sort of like, oh hi. And I was wearing a, 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 a polo shirt that said, you know, a Cardinal Football Club established eighteen sixty four, and he looked at me and gone, hey, is that a, a local football club? Like eighteen sixty four? That that seems ridiculously early. And and suddenly there's a conversation happening about football. And then Richard, you came over, and we said, "Oh, Colin, we, you know, you're a big fan of the cricket. What do you, what do you reckon is going to happen with the Ashes Tour next yes. month?" And and again, suddenly the three of us are standing there talking with the sixth Doctor about the Ashes. Yeah, and, and and that to me just summed up the the joy and the fun and the brilliance of cons. But I'm also very happy that in those old ones you could get those autographs without having to pay through the nose because. Even today, I will pull out, for example, a copy of my novel of survival, or a copy of my VHS of something to have a look at. I think I think the other day for a segment on the Doctor Who show, I was pulling out my copy of Shakedown on VHS to be talking about the Santarans, and I pulled it out, and there's Sophie Aldridge's autograph, mm. and you just go, you know what? I met Sophie Aldridge, and that was really fun. Yeah, and, and that's what's kind of wonderful about it. So, yep. yeah. conventions when they come off, they're they're wonderful fan experiences, but. A lot of work. A lot of work. A lot of work. And sometimes uh, a lot of money. Sometimes a lot of money and don't forget the soul. (laughs) (laughs) So, look, gents, thank you for being part of the Doctor Who show. Thank you very much for having us. Good fun as always. It's a good discussion. Yeah, thanks for having me along, Dave. I really appreciate it. It was a really interesting discussion and an excellent uh, trip down memory lane. Yeah. No, it's been, been very enjoyable. Um, of course, check out our other episodes. We have got... Richard, you joined us recently for a review of Season 2 of The Mandalorian. Yes. Uh, and we'll have probably a few more of those as the cinemas start to open across 2021. Mm. Yeah, one day we'll tell some real convention anecdotes, but uh, that's <laughs> for another time. Yes. Um, do check out the Christmas episode of 42 to Doomsday with Mark and Rob, which Richard and I were um, very pleased to be guests on. And we'll be back in the middle of January with our usual episode now that's becoming usual of primary sources which I'm sure we'll be getting you guys on at some point during the course of the year Uh, but until then I've been Dave I've been Rob I'm Richard and I'm Mark and we'll speak again soon 
You've been listening to The Doctor Who Show, the podcast where too much Doctor Who is barely enough. Subscribe to us on iTunes or listen through the website at www.thedwshow.net. Write to us at hello at thedwshow.net or send us a quickie on Twitter at thedwshow. Facebook.com forward slash thedwshow is also a good place to find us if you're so inclined. Our version of the Doctor Who theme arranged by George Locke. Look him up on YouTube, folks. This podcast is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. Doctor Who, all names and sounds, and any other related items are trademarks and or copyrights of the BBC. All other trademarks and trade names are properties of their respective owners. The official Doctor Who website can be found at www.bbc.co.uk forward slash Doctor Who. I made it on! Oh!